hits all the time. We are family. Max double-digit case. We're busting ours. Kick yours. Fun to watch. Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfect. Oh, mercy. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome into the Mass and All Access podcast, everybody. Thank you for making us a part of your off day this Thursday. I'm Bobby Blanco. Next to me is Amy Jennings. We hope you're joining us on the Mass and Nationals Facebook page and the YouTube channel this afternoon. And Amy, this has been a really short, odd week again for the Nationals. They play two games against the Mets, surrounded by uh, two off days. They had a four-day off weekend, Friday through Monday, and then they're off again Thursday before they embark on a 13-straight-day where they're playing games, and they're including their first actual road trip. Right, it's weird. And they're only going right down the street to Baltimore, <laughs> so hardly even a road trip. But, yeah, their first time on the road so far this season. Um, what did you do over the weekend? Anything exciting? Um, yeah, I mean, I ch- kind of took advantage of the uh, four days off. Um, uh, yeah, what did I do? I picked some crabs on Saturday oh, night. Yeah, with some friends in, in their backyard. Yeah, I know. Um, actually, the, already the second time I've done that this summer, which is uh, surprising. It's usually a one or two time per summer ordeal, but already gone twice, and we're just at the beginning of August. So hopefully, do that again. And Sunday, spent some time with my girlfriend's family. We got to go see them, nice. hung out in their backyard. Uh, we try to see them once a week um, during all this crazy time. How about yourself? Uh, I went to the beach. Yeah. I watched baseball, but yeah, I went to the beach, went to Ocean City, social distanced. Um, but it was good. Good yeah. weekend. I missed out on my family's beach vacation this week. But that's okay because we're watching baseball. That's we're right. We're having fun doing it. Some house cleaning to do before uh, we get into some more in-depth stuff on our podcast. We're going to do some the good, the bad, the ugly through two weeks of the season and uh, we're also going to preview the Battle of the Beltways this weekend coming up against the Orioles uh, in D.C. Uh, but first and foremost, the Nationals this morning actually made two announcements. First off is that they canceled, straight up canceled, Winterfest this year. That's right. Um, uh, that's gonna take, that was supposed to take place in January of 2021. They uh, announced that they're going to try to do some more community-friendly events throughout the offseason. Obviously, we need to get through this season first. Um, but that was kind of an uh, unfortunate announcement. I know Nationals fans really enjoy that. But then also, uh, in more terms of their roster, today was the deadline to cut down the roster size to 28 players from 30. Uh, they optioned James Bork to Fredericksburg and designated for assignment Emilio Bonifacio. Uh, I don't know. I mean, if I guess these two guys were on the chopping block, I mean, I guess if you had to pick two guys to go, yeah. it's not really surprising. It is unfortunate that this kind of snuck up on uh, on the Nationals, maybe all of baseball too. It felt like definitely snuck up on me that today was the day to cut down to the 28 players. I know yesterday I looked and I was like, tomorrow? Oh my goodness. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think both of these moves make sense. They have Wander Suero back, which would cut appearances for James Bork. And then um, Bonifacio, they just signed Josh Harrison. I mean, I think that makes sense. Um, I'm not, how long do they have? So he'll, I mean, I'm assuming he'll probably accept this assignment, right? Yeah. Seeing the season is how it is. Um, his only option really is to, you know, go work out and get paid to go work out. But how long is it before somebody can? It's uh, and, Well, that's a good question. And normally it's 10 days. Normally in a regular season, it's 10 days. A, a, a team can right. uh, put in a claim for him. Then the Nationals either can work out, either do one of three things. Let him go, work out a trade with that team, or right. bring him back and put him on the roster. 
if after 10 days no one puts in a claim, then he has the option to accept a minor league uh, designation. And in this case, I think that's Frederick the Burton. same this year, right? I think. I don't I know if it's the exact. I don't know if the timeline is the same. The, right. the, the process is the same. I don't know if it's actually 10 days, though. Um, I would think so, but I can't. Don't quote me on that. I'm not sure. Because this whole season's changing right, around. So it could be like crazy. eight days now. I'm not right. exactly sure. Yeah. But seeing as the season is, I, I'm assuming he'll probably, you know. Yeah, Depends and, on what happens. Right. And no offense to Emilio Bonifacio. I don't know how many teams are. Well, maybe the Marlins. But I don't know he's how many. He's been around the block. Yeah, he's, he's been, been around, around the, the block. block. I don't know how many teams are looking to add another veteran position player at this moment. Again, right. maybe the Marlins, may, uh, you know, who knows? A team could have another outbreak and they're struggling to add or f- uh, field right. a major league roster. Um, but, yeah, I would expect, like, you're right. I think if, if he got to that point, he would accept a, an assignment and start working out at Fredericksburg. Um, just in case something right. happens and he needs to be called back up to the Nationals. Um, all right, well, we'll, go, we'll get to the Mets series as we get through the good, the bad, and the ugly um, for the first two weeks. They split the series, go one and one. They looked really good on Tuesday night. That was about as a cle- complete of a ball game they played all season. And then the bats kind of go silent, uh, and a lot of other things happened uh, Wednesday night. Obviously, Max Scherzer leaving the game early in the first inning. Juan Soto's return. His family was there somewhat uh, in the stands <laughs> yeah. with the cutouts. Um, but – Overall, Amy, let's start with the good that we've seen. Uh, Met series included, even though they split. Uh, what has been good for the Nationals these first two weeks of the season? Well, one thing is, last week we talked about it. I've said, you know, these four days off worried me. They could get players back, but that inconsistency inconsistency, and in seeing live pitching concerned me. You said it was a good thing. You loved them having those four days off. And they came out Tuesday, and I was like, Bobby was right. I mean, that – on Tuesday, that third inning just stuck out to me. I think that's the best inning of offensive production we've seen. You know, they had singles from Howie, Starling, Carter, then a double from Astrubo Cabrera, the sack fly from Harrison. All four hits, I think, were up the middle or opposite field, Yep. Um, which you love to see. And, you know, we talked last week about how they need to have more power in their lineup, how you want to see guys like Eric Thames and um, Howie, you know, hitting out of the park, but that ability to string together hits and produce runs is something they really hadn't been able to do um, up until this point. And Tuesday, that third inning, they really did it. They stayed longer. They stayed in at-bats longer. They saw more pitches, which I know Howie said they were working on. You know, They wanted to stay in at-bats longer. They wanted to see more pitches, and they really did that, especially in that third inning of that game. And it all started with um, with Howie Kendrick. He, he started that um, – Big run. Yeah. And I think when you, when you look at the, and this is before Juan Soto's return, you know, he was cleared to play, but he wasn't in that starting lineup and didn't make his, his debut until the night after. But then when you see the Nationals lineup that night, you go three, four, five, six. Uh, Kendrick collects four, four. He goes four for four. He has an amazing night. Uh, Drupal Cabrera collects two hits. Starling Castro collects two hits. Josh Harrison gets his first hit as a National. It's a deep home run. Um, even Carter Keboom in the seventh spot gets a hit and an RBI uh, in that inning. So I think that was really encouraging to see. I think it just goes to show, even with Eric Thames, that we talk about the lack of power and no Juan Soto, but we've seen in these two games, you know, it's a win and a loss, but Howie Kendrick and Juan Soto can carry this offense. When they're both healthy in the exactly. lineup, uh, this team, that's when their the engine's clicking, and then they can rely on Turner and Eaton getting on base, and that provides a lot of RBI opportunities for Soto and Kendrick. So that was good to see. Um, and then I think Howie, like you mentioned, just 23 hits in the last – or stringing hits together, uh, producing – being healthy, being available. I think the weekend off helped him. Um, I know Juan Soto was itching to get out there, so it was good to see him collect two hits in his first two at-bats 
on uh, Wednesday. Another good uh, good for the Nationals through these first two weeks, and it's surprising that we're saying it this early in the season because we're used to kind of <laughs> doing like a face palm and kind of groaning. Yeah. But it's the bullpen. The Nationals relievers have been really good this uh, start start off the season. It's kind of the opposite. We've seen some struggles, obviously, for Max Scherzer not being able to go. Um, past the first inning, Steven Strasburg hasn't made his debut. Right. Patrick Corbin has looked solid in his two outings. Ani Ball and Austin Voth and Eric Fetty have kind of been wavering in, in their uh, limited actions so far. But the bullpen has been absolutely fantastic. Uh, they've stranded all 17 runners they've inherited this season. There are some blips, some dark spots, but we're seeing really good production out of guys we might not have seen or we're not used to seeing coming out of the bullpen. Right. You love to see that. I mean, going into the season, you knew – so much pressure, especially early on, was going to be on this bullpen, and a lot of pressure was going to be on Davey Martinez to see how he managed this bullpen and what he has. But, I mean, look back at last year. They let 42% of their inherited runners score. It was the worst rate in the majors. And now look at this year. They've um, stranded all 17 inher inherited runners, so you love to see that, um, especially you know when you have two of your best starters out so much of you're, you're relying on your bullpen so much more. I mean, I know Davey didn't expect to go to his bullpen in the second inning yesterday, so you love to see them doing well, especially, you know, early on when they weren't scoring a ton of runs. You know, in all their losses so far, they've, had, they've scored two or less runs. So you want your bullpen to go out there and, you know, hold, hold whatever lead you have, if you have a lead, um, you know, and put out some, some solid innings. So, so that's great to see, especially with the injuries with their starting pitching. And we kind of figured that was going to be the case to start this season. Um, with a 60-game sprint, we talked about last week how the Nationals rely heavily on their starting pitchers. You're, o you're only going to get so many starts from these guys, if you're lucky, 12 each. Um, and we know that's not going to be the case for Strasburg. But, you know, early on, how deep could these guys go into, into games? You know, their arms are still getting ramped up right. uh, after a long layoff and then a short summer camp. Uh, you're going to have to rely on some bullpen arms even when your best guys are starting the game. So we knew it was going to be the case. We just didn't know how it was going to go. Uh, you've seen really good – I mean, uh, Ryan Harper, Javi Guerra, uh, Tanner Rainey has been a godsend for this bullpen yeah, and for I David know. Martinez. He leads the team in appearances. Some concerns maybe that he's getting overworked, but I think those four days off this past weekend helped him kind of reset. Um, and Davey felt confident in throwing him back in there. Um, and, and, we're, and you're not seeing production of the normal guys you would see, which is a good and bad thing. We'll get to the bad part of the bullpen a little bit later, yeah. but you know, you're not getting production. You would think if the bullpen was doing well, it was because of Will Harris, Sean Doolittle, and Daniel Hudson. It's not. It's other guys. Wander Suero had a really good debut yesterday as well uh, with a scoreless inning um, exactly. in, in that game against the Mets. So I think it's good that they're getting, A, production out of the bullpen, some solid outings, and two, it's coming from guys you weren't expecting to be this good this early on in the season. Um, all right, let's shift to some more uh, bad news, I guess the bad part. Um, and, and they're kind of sticking with the bullpen there, but a specific person, and it, it's, it's, it's a shame to see, but Sean Doolittle is off to a real tough start to this season um, in his limited action already. He just looks kind of out of whack uh, and not fully focused or, or not fully prepared to take on the load that he was expected to take on this early in the season. Yeah, I mean, and especially last night, he came in the seventh, um, faced four batters. Three of them were left-handed, um, gave up two hits and a walk, and he just looked out of whack. Like Just like you said, his command is off. His uh, velocity on his fastball was way down. I think it only got to like 90. Um, he just doesn't look right, and that was his first outing in eight days. He's trying to work out those mechanics and kind of reminds me of last year we saw this like in late July early August when he he 
you know, went to Davey Martinez and says, I said, I need to sit out. I need to work on this. He, you know, worked with the video coordinator and worked with the pitching coach and, you know, was trying to figure some things out. And actually, I think it was he had a really bad outing against the Mets. And yeah, then the a Mets really, have his number for some yeah, reason. Yeah, a bad outing then against the Brewers, and that's when, you know, Davey was like, no, you need to, we're, you know, you need to figure this out. Um, so hopefully he does. And, you know, he is a guy, he's very, you know, he takes the time to do it. He takes it very seriously. Um, so hopefully we can see him, you know, work some of this stuff out because this bullpen's going to rely on him. Yes these, yes, these other guys have stepped up, but, you know, Sean Dulo is a guy you want to be able to go to and feel confident in in your bullpen. Yeah, and I think it was unfortunate circumstances for him uh, coming out of the gate this week. I mean, I, like you mentioned, I think this weekend off was a good time for him to kind of reset, maybe tweak some things, get his command back, um, and, and hit his spots. Um, and then Davey had him up in game one against the Mets, ready to go, I think it was in the, for the eighth inning, and mm-hmm. then the rain hit. And Davey said after the game, you know, I wanted to pitch him, but I'm not going to do that to him because he was warmed up and ready, and then we had an hour delay. You can't expect him to get right. ramped back up and go out there and face major league hit- hitters. It's just not fair. So that was kind of an unfortunate circumstance for Sean. He comes in the next day against the Mets and, and has a really rough go at it. I think it was the seventh inning yeah, that he came in seven. to start. Um, he lead he gets issues a leadoff walk to Brandon Nimmo. Pete Alonso two batters later falls with a single, and then Dominic Smith hits a double to increase the Mets lead to three to one. And that's when Davey pulled. Uh, the chain on him and had to yank him, mm-hmm. get him out of there. But, I mean, it's just been a tough go for Sean. You hate to see it. Obviously, he's a fan favorite. Um, you know, I, I've felt fortunate enough to get know him a little better over the years he's been here. Uh, I've had him on the podcast before. Great guy. A, 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 amazing guy, someone you want to root for, and it's it's tough when you see him struggle. And I think last year, what you mentioned when he got not shut down but kind of uh, had to take it easy is because he was used so much early on in the season because the right. rest of the bullpen wasn't picking up the slack. Well, and that – that is kind of what concerns me now is it's so early on. He hasn't pitched a ton. So it's not – I'm not going to say it's fatigue this early on, which kind of concerns me more as last year where it was like he, he was relying on him so much, so much. I think it was fatigue things were getting out of whack. Um, I don't think that's the case this early on in the season. Um, but, again, yeah, Davey Martinez is going to rely on him, hopefully, if he gets gets things figured out. Yeah, and I don't know what it is about the Mets, but they have his number. He has a 6-2-3 ERA in 16, or 19 career games against the Mets. Um, and we saw that last year, like you mentioned. For whatever reason, uh, they hit him well um, uh, up there in New York. All right, moving on. Um, let's I was, was going to say, another thing no, that ahead. concerned me before we talk about, you know, the other injuries that the Nats have in their pitching staff is last night they didn't get any runners on base after yep. the fourth inning. That worries me, right? And then even, you know, they – put together that great third inning on Tuesday, but then they didn't score after the third inning. So, you know, they have to keep plugging away, plugging away, especially as they play these better teams. Yeah, yeah, and like you mentioned, I think Juan Soto, he, yeah, it was great. He started two for two, a double, an RBI, and a diving play out in left field, uh, but then he finished two for four, and right. those two outs and ended up were, with the only RBI. Right, exactly. Yeah, were two yep. strikeouts. And, and, you know, you're going to have times like last night. I mean, Rick Parcello – Porcello was just he had right. you know, he was in a groove. I mean, he, you tip your cap to him. I mean, he pitched seven really strong innings. He didn't strike mm-hmm. out too much. He was just inducing a lot of weak contact. Um, and then Seth Lugo came in and retired the side uh, to earn like I think it was a six out save right. uh, for him. He pitched the eighth and the ninth. Um, yeah, but you like you mentioned, they retired sixteen straight um, to close out the game between those two two pitchers. Uh, I, that's 
not as concerning because I think you're just going to run into guys like that. You know, sometimes guys are just on. Mm-hmm. Um, um, the Mets pitching staff and the bullpen actually picked up Porcello at the end. You don't always expect that. Um, sometimes you can get a little deeper into that, but when they only have to use two guys, that's going to happen. But then you're right. When you look back to, you know, Tuesday was a great win and all, and I, like I said, maybe one of their complete games. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, like you mentioned, they didn't score after the third inning, and I don't think they really got too many opportunities too. You're seeing a lot of guys run into outs. You're seeing a lot of, I mean, that could be early season blunders, uh, you know, right. still trying to get into the swing of things. Guys are still trying to get their legs. Um, Juan Soto mentioned yesterday that he needs to take this day off. To, mm-hmm. You know, he hasn't played a full nine innings since game seven of the World <laughs> Series, which Jeez. is crazy. So that's coming up on a year now. So I think a lot of it is early on in the season mental mistakes, too, and maybe trying to do too much too soon. Um, but, yeah, you're right. It is concerning that they're not being able to get on base and drive them yeah. in as consistently as we might have thought. But, you know, I am optimistic as we get into it get farther into the season they're going to see more consistent live pitching I mean you look at the lineup yesterday the lineup looked great I mean now that you have Howie back you have Soto back um I mean you have support in that lineup so I think as they see get into the groove of things see more consistent live pitching um I think some of those things are going to work themselves out hopefully yeah yeah and I I mentioned yesterday um that that lineup yesterday was supposed to be the Nats lineup at full strength exactly that would have been the normal opening day lineup and, of course, Max Scherzer exits no. after the first inning, which then leads into our ugly of the first two weeks. All the mm. injured pitchers, Max, the latest victim. He says it's just uh, a hamstring tweak. Uh, he didn't even call it an injury. He called it an ailment. I think he called it, yeah, a couple yeah. different things in that uh, he post-game stopped himself. Zoom conference. He didn't want to yeah. call it uh, a um, an injury. He called it an ailment instead. But then, of course, Strasburg has not debuted yet. He's got a nerve thing in his finger, which is fluky in and of itself. Um, nothing that he could do about it. You know, I, I mean, I've had nerve in issues in my shoulder, and it's just like you, you sleep on it wrong or something like that. It's right. just something so out of the blue. Will Harris on the IL with a strained right groin. groin. Doolittle, no injury designation, but he just, like we said, looks out of it. Um, I don't know if it's physical, mental, or whatever, mechanical, whatever it may be, but I'm just adding him underneath it because he's just not normal. He doesn't look yeah. like his normal self. So something we can is put up. him in that. Yeah. Something is up, and it's not injury related, but something is bothering him. It seems like. Well, and I think one thing, I'm not going to say it's a good thing because it's not a good thing, but you see pitchers across the league hurt. I mean, look at how many pitchers across the league are hurt. I'm five times as many guys are on the injured list this year than they were at this point last year. And then, I mean, look at starters across the league, like Otani, Soroka. Um, and then there's, I think, 54 non-COVID relievers, non-COVID-related relievers on um, the injured list. So the Nats aren't the only one dealing with this issue. And I think we kind of saw this coming going into the season that pitchers, you know, might run into some trouble early on just because they're not in season form and all of that. So, we, you know... They're not the only ones dealing with this. Not a great thing, not a great thing, especially to have guys out of your bullpen or whether they're hurt or not, guys that aren't looking good at all. But teams across the league are dealing with this. Yeah, and I'm actually going to talk to uh, our own FP Santangelo later on in the podcast and get his thoughts on how, as a player, you would approach this season trying to avoid injuries, trying to avoid fatigue, um, especially with all the schedule scheduling issues happening um, with COVID outbreaks, postponements, and cancellation of games. So uh, it'll be interesting to see, ha- see what he has to say in terms of how players are approaching this season. All right. Um, ugly out of the way. Hopefully we'll get healthy. Hopefully yeah. you, we'll see Steven Strasburg make his debut sometime next week in New York. 
Um, you know, this weekend you're gonna get uh, probably we don't we don't know for sure, but probably Austin Voth, Anibal Sanchez, um, making his second se- start of the season, and then Patrick Corbin making his third probably on Sunday. Mm-hmm. They're facing the Baltimore Orioles. It's the Battle of the Beltways. Whether you like it or not, I like to call it a rivalry. Having grown up here and rooting for the Orioles half my life, and now switching to cover the Nationals, um, but. Amy, on paper, I think obviously the Nationals are a better team, um, but I don't think that you should take the Orioles for granted. Yes, they're in two, year two of a rebuild, but they've got a lot of young players. They've got some veterans that they've added along the way that can contribute. Uh, I think the biggest question mark might be surrounding their pitching staff, and right now the pitching staff might be the best aspect they have because their bats have gone silent uh, over the past couple of days against the Marlins. Just a quick preview. What should uh, Nationals fans expect from this Orioles team heading into this weekend? Well, you know, their pitching, I think, has surprised everybody, yeah. right? I mean, no, I don't think anybody saw it coming. The Orioles have a tendency to start seasons well. Um, that's They're just that kind of team. Um, but their pitching has definitely really surprised people. Their bats have kind of gone silent in this series with the Marlins, but I'm still more worried about that lineup. They're going to hit. I mean, they have some great hitters in there. Hands are Alberto, uh, Santander, Jose Iglesias. I mean, they have some solid hitters in that lineup. They're pitching... I don't think their pitching is going to hold on. Um, they could have a great weekend, but I don't think, you know, as we get farther into the season, their pitching is going to hold on like we've seen so far. Yeah, much as like a question mark for the Nationals pitching staff. Um, again, we don't know for sure, but those three guys that I mentioned earlier are probable to start this season. Uh, we'll maybe expect an announcement either later today or, or Friday morning to see who's going to be starting. But on the, on the Orioles' side, I mean, their best pitcher right now is Alex Cobb, and he just went and game yes. one of a doubleheader on Wednesday, so you right. probably won't see him this weekend. Uh, John Means, who was slated to be their opening day starter, uh, one kind of struggled early out the gate, had a better second outing, but now is on the bereavement list. Yeah. We don't know how long he'll be out for. It's, it's possible we could see him this weekend if he's back soon enough. But with the bereavement list, you really don't know. It could be up to a week, right? I think so. I think think it's up to seven days. days, So we're not quite sure. Old friend Tommy Malone, I think, is slated Mm -hmm. or scheduled maybe uh, in terms of when he last pitched to start on Friday. Of course, Tommy Malone making his debut with the Nationals all those years ago and hitting a home (laughs) run um, in his first at-bat as a starting pitcher. Um, But he looked really well, really good on Sunday against the Rays. He struck out eight, only allowed one run over five innings. So like you mentioned, uh, there are some – surprise spots on, on in this Orioles pitching staff that could uh, give the Nationals some trouble. And the other hitters you mentioned, uh, Hansa Alberto, he carves up left-handed hitters. We Everyone knows that. Uh, hitting 600 against left-handed pitchers, excuse me. Um, and But the thing is that the Nationals currently don't have too many left-handers. And the only left-hander he might see is Sunday against Patrick That's Corbin. Yep. Davey's not going to throw Sam Freeman or Sean Doolittle out there against him in any spot. You can guarantee that, but you probably see a Hans Alberto lead off for the Orioles on Sunday if Patrick Corbin gets the ball. That that matchup kind of interests me because uh, Hans or Alberto got him a couple of times in one of the exhibition games before the regular season started mm-hmm. that, that Patrick Corbin started for the Nationals. I'll be interested to see how, because he's so good against left-handed pitchers, how Patrick Corbin adjusts and facing him because he'll, he'll hit in the leadoff spot against him uh, if Patrick Corbin's on the mound. I think that's going to be that's gonna be a good matchup to see. Um, like I said, I'm way more – I think the Orioles' bats aren't going to stay silent for long. I can – you know, I'm way more concerned about that than I am their pitching. Their O-starters have gone six consecutive games, allowing two runs or fewer. But, I mean, the Nats line up. Look at how many bats they, they've got um, – They've gotten back, so I'm definitely more worried about. The, I'm not worried about the Orioles pitching. I think the Nats, if, as long as they can get some things going, get consecutive hits, I think they could. Um, 
do all right. Do some damage? Yeah, do some damage. Well, the Orioles' pass need to do some damage. They've only allowed 10 hits in the past three games against the Marlins. They went two for 14 with runners in scoring position combined and left 16 runners on base. So their bats need to wake up um, against this tough Nationals pitching staff so they're going to have a chance this weekend. All right, Amy, before we get out of here, uh, just to recap, 13 games starting on tomorrow straight. Uh, these last three ga- these first three games, excuse me, are the only home games for the Nationals. Then they go on the 10-game road trip. They go to uh, New York to face the Mets for four games, and they come back to Baltimore, which I guess is kind of a home game because I think they'll bust back and forth, mm-hmm. um, not stay there. But then they go to Atlanta. How do we see... One, the schedule shaking up. There's going to be no off days for 13 straight days. That's going to be the first time they're have to. The Nationals have to endure something like that. And then two, an actual road trip when they're actually going to have to leave the comfort of their own home. I'm um, this year. There's I don't think there's really any any advantage to being home or away. So I'm not really worried about that road trip. They have been home thus far into the season, so that will be you know be a change for them. But there's really no advantage to being at home this year. So um, you know. I'm not too worried about that. Um, what I will say is that 13 straight days, I think, is going to be great for their hitters. Yeah. Um, I think that consistency and seeing live pitching is going to be great. They've had too many off days. What I will say is, as far as getting their pitchers back, that that kind of worries me. What do you think? Yeah, I think well, I think it's going to affect the bullpen more than not, especially we don't know how long Max might be out. He said he should make his next right. start. That remains to be seen. We're not definitely sure that Steven Strasburg will be back next week. Um, Doolittle is a question mark. Doolittle is a question mark. Um, and will Harris, Harris is on is the IL. Daniel Hudson has looked great, but in, in spaced out times. Um, can Tanner Rainey keep the workload You can't go to him every, every day. day. Yeah, so. so he's going to need a day off here and there. So, yeah, I think you're right. I think it's a perfect analogy. I think 13 days is great for the hitters. They'll get into a rhythm, but it, it might – uh, kind of wear out these pitchers if they're going to need to be called upon, especially in the bullpen, uh, more often than not. Well, that's going to do it for this week's Mass and All Access podcast. Be sure to tune in all weekend to Mass and for the Battle of the Beltways, Nationals and Orioles from Nationals Park. Bob and FP will have the call. I think uh, Friday and Saturday games are at 6.30. Oh, no, it's 6 o'clock. Extra at 5.30. And then Alex Chapel and I will be on Mass and All Access Extra after the post-game show on the Nas- Mass and Nationals Facebook page and YouTube channel. Be sure to give, give a follow to the uh, Mass and All Access podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. And give Amy Jennings a follow on Twitter at Amy Jennings News. And myself, I'm at Bobby underscore Blanco. That's going to do it for this portion of the Mass and All Access podcast. Stay tuned. I chat with FP Santangelo right now. Now join on the Mass and All Access podcast by our Mass and Analyst in the Nationals booth, FP Santangelo. FP, it's good to see you. Thanks for hopping on. Bobby, thanks for having me on, man. Good to see you, too. It's been a while since we chatted, and of course, a lot has happened since then, the season getting underway. Uh, The Max Scherzer injury, or ailment as he called it last night, kind of stole the headlines uh, in the series finale against the Mets. What do you make of that injury and what Max had to say after the game? Um, it was kind of a fluky thing, and I know players are being extra cautious this year in terms of risking their bodies in a shortened season. Well, I think when you talk about pitchers, 87% I saw the other day is generated from the lower half. So when you have anything lower half going on and you're compensating with your upper half, you're obviously susceptible to injury. And Bobby, I just think this year's not the year to take chances. You have to be, you have to look at the big picture and look at, um, you know, next year, maybe, you know, you want to go compete this year, but are they ready? We talk about four days off and nine days between starts for a pitcher and 10 days between starts. 
These guys are so fine-tuned that they know what they do. Say they pitch Sunday. They know Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. They have a routine they've been doing for years, and now it's disrupted. And even with position players going zero to 60 after four or five days off, in some cases seven or eight days off, this isn't conducive to staying healthy. So when you talk about the 2020 season, it's so nice for us all to escape for three and a half hours every night to watch baseball, to have something that seems normal. It makes us all feel really good inside. But from a player's standpoint, I think they're just trying to get through this uninjured and staying healthy and not catch COVID. And, you know, they're going to compete when they get between the lines for three and a half hours. But there's so much other things that go into it right now. And you see with Steven Strasburg, you saw with Juan Soto taking that extra day off. And now Max Scherzer. We all know Max. If that's game seven of the World Series, he's pitching. Or even even in a normal season um, where they're pitching to get to the playoffs. But I think coming off a World Series win, being a defending world champs, why in the world would you take a chance on injuring yourself and maybe a career-threatening injury right now this year? Yeah, we've seen Max obviously fight through a lot worse. And you mentioned Steven Strasburg. You know, his debut for the 2020 season has been pushed back. It's a, a nerve issue in his hand, which is even a little more bizarre. It's kind of hard to treat. Nothing he did wrong or did anything to happen to it. It's just kind of a fluky thing. But he even mentioned kind of offhandedly in uh, one of his press conferences that, like, this season doesn't really count for too much. Do you get a sense that some players are maybe kind of taking it easy, maybe not be fully focused in this season so far? Because like you said, uh, it's, it's a shortened season. It's so bizarre. There's a lot of off days. I mean, their bodies are at risks and their careers are at risks. And some guys might not be trying as hard as, say, a 162-game regular season or a playoff sprint uh, that we've seen in the past. You know, they're doing what we're all doing. They're doing their best. You know, no matter who you are in the world today, we're all doing our best. And I think they're doing their best to find a way to get themselves up to compete every night. Um, but baseball players are, are, are accustomed to routine. And there's nothing routine about our world right now. There's nothing routine about baseball right now. So when you talk about the protocols they have to go through every day and, and this, the distancing in the clubhouse and the staggered arrivals and the five buses to Baltimore and, you know, the travel and all they're kind of putting at risk right now, like we all are. You know, I wouldn't say that they're not trying. I would say that the focus might not be as intense as it is in a normal year off the field. I think, you know, once you get between the lines, it's baseball. Let's go, baby. And so we're seeing guys trying during the game. I just think it's a lot to ask um, players to start and stop like they've been doing. I, you know, if this was a 60-game schedule and everything went off smoothly and no teams had to sit out for a week and there wasn't any COVID outbreaks with ball clubs, Okay, 60 games. Let's go, baby. Let's see what happens. But the start and stop and the, the scrambling of the schedule all over the place, I think players um, are seeing this like we all are. That Hey, is anybody going to say, wow, that guy really had a, 60, a great 60-game season? Or, oh, my gosh, the Blue Jays were the 2020 World Series champions. What a year they had. Do you remember that? I mean, so we take it for what it's worth. I think if we can get to the finish line and get to the playoffs, that's when it becomes normal again. I think. You know, I think if you get to October baseball and you, you you have a World Series, I don't know if I can picture a World Series without fans after what we saw last October. But I, I think it starts to become a little more normal then. But to say they're not trying, I I don't think that's the case. I just think they're just they're they're all trying to do their best, like we all are. Yeah, I think maybe it's just the, their mindset is 
it's hard not to have your mind, like you said, elsewhere right now in the way the world works. Someone who's doing their best at all times is Juan Soto. We've seen him dancing on dugouts. He comes to the plate in his first at-bat in 2020, gets an RBI double, makes a diving catch in left field, gets a single in his next at-bat. I mean, what is it? What does it mean to this team to have Juan Soto back in the lineup, and how happy are Nats, should Nats fans be to see this guy play every day for uh, the next two months? Well, you know, it, it's awesome to see him back because he, the, the Gerardo Parra influence is still there. When you have a veteran like Parra that took these guys under their wing last year in Robles and Soto and taught them that they could work hard, play hard, but also have fun while they're doing it, it's neat to see Juan in, in the dynamic that he brings to the ball club, and it's a direct – a result of having Gerardo Parra as the leader last year. So to see him dancing on the dugout the other night and to see him smiling in at bats and to see him actually enjoying baseball. I mean, the one thing I think of, the first thing I think of when I think of Juan Soto is a guy that loves the game as much or more than anybody ever has. And that's a joy for us to watch on a daily basis. Somebody that has that much passion, joy, and love for the game of baseball. Take all the great swings out of it. Take the gold glove quality left field out of it that he might be one of the best hitters in baseball when it's all said and done out of it. Here's a guy that just absolutely loves to play the game. And you could only imagine for a 21 year old to be stuck in his, his hotel room um, and testing negative and, and, and the, the emotional and mental effect that has on guys. And I didn't even mention before Bobby, like when, when you come in and you take a test, the anxiety of going to bed and wondering if you're going to wake up the next morning positive or not, and all the mental um, energy you're spending on this stuff, and in a perfect world, when everything's great off the field, baseball is the hardest game in the world. And the things that those guys are going through every day and how much mental energy they're wasting on not wasting, but spending um, on wondering if they're going to test positive or negative or not. But getting back to Juan Soto, it's just so glad to see. We're also glad to see him on the field again. That's, that's awesome. Right out of bed, choke up, double down the left field line, single to right, diving play. Juan Soto's back. So um, it, it's great to see him. And we all held our breath when his arm discombobulated on the diving play your and I's arm would have fallen right off on the field and just been laying there but that's Juan Soto and he was fine yeah he's he's such a joy to watch and we're lucky to have him on our home team FP you mentioned the the mental side of this a couple of times already um, and you've also talked about it at length on the broadcast the rain delay the other day you you we talked about it a bunch but you know as a former player how do you think you would approach this season with all the kooky things that are happening with the scheduling you know uh, especially a player like Juan Soto he's delayed in some in summer camp comes back for a week then gets a, a positive test has to sit out for 10 days then the Nationals don't play that weekend he's supposed to return so he has to set it even longer uh, how do you think as a player you would approach this season with the mental aspect of the game because like you mentioned earlier too baseball players are so used to the routine day in and day out of, of playing ball uh, how do you think you would approach this a season like this well, it, it depends where, what stage of my career I was at. If I was toward the end and had money, I would have opted out immediately. I would have been Ryan Zimmerman in a heartbeat. I would have thought about my wife and my young kids and not taking a chance of uh, putting them in jeopardy. Um, so if, if I'm at the end of my career, I never had enough money to do it. But I'm just saying, hypothetically, if I'm you know, 35, 36, I wouldn't have played this year. I would have opted out. But um, you know, from a mental standpoint, I can't imagine what these guys are going through. Um, are we playing today? Are we going to Miami? Um, what are we doing? Who are we playing today? When are we playing? Oh, we have the weekend. That's just that, that part to me is the most difficult aspect. Like I said, once they get between the lines, it's autopilot, baby. You flip that switch. We're playing baseball. Um, you know, I'm, I'm 
throwing a guy out the plate. I'm stretching a single into a double. I'm scoring from second. I'm throwing strikes. And if I don't like your swing, I'm buzzing the tower. Everything just goes autopilot during the game. It's just, I, I don't know how you block out all the other stuff, but, but, but for me, the, the, the baseball field and the ballpark was and still is my sanctuary. So whatever's going on in my personal life, whatever I have to worry about before I go to the yard, once I walk in a ballpark, and more specifically as a player, once I went between the white lines, everything went away. Yeah, well, speaking of you being a ball player, you celebrated a special moment in your career this past weekend on Sunday. It was the 25th anniversary of your Major League debut with the Montreal Expos. Uh, FP, can you get, kind of just take us through your emotions that day when you got the call um, and were able to step to the plate for the first time as a Major League Baseball player, and then maybe some of the thoughts that you have now when you look back on that moment and, and your career as a whole, especially with the Expos. You know, they're not the Expos anymore, but it's the same franchise now here in, in Washington. And um, you've been with this team for so long, this organization for so long. It's meant so much to you and your family. Well, the, the reason I celebrated is because I wasn't supposed to make it to the big leagues. I was a 20th round draft pick that signed for $1,000. I wasn't even supposed to make it out of A-ball. I was a release player. So, um, you know, when you hear me talking about on the broadcast about the majors or something that happened or a story of mine, it's because even to this day, day 25 years later, I still have trouble wrapping my head around that I made it to the major leagues because I wasn't supposed to. And I was a salmon swimming upstream my whole career. So um, I had to beat the odds. And so the reason that I tweeted that the other day is even now, 25 years later, I can't believe I made it to the big leagues. So uh, I'm proud of that, as you can probably tell, because I talk about it a lot. I wasn't a first round draft pick. It wasn't an easy road. It was seven years in the minors. In, in the last year in the minor leagues, I was making $13,000 a year, $2,100 a month for a, a six-month pay period before taxes with a wife and a kid. So you imagine trying to support a family making $13,000 a year. It wasn't working. So I did get called up, um, and it was one of the greatest experiences of my life. Um, they called me into the office. Um, I had a habit of breaking lights and chairs every time I made it out in the minor leagues. And our minor league director was in town, so he called me in the office, and he said, you know, I can't take any more of your money and find you, but breaking the lights in the tunnel and breaking the chairs and your helmet after every at bat, that, that ass has got to stop. He goes, what I'm going to do is I'm going to make you sign autographs before the game tomorrow. And I, his name is Bill Guyvet. I said, Billy, don't treat me like a kid. I'm, I'm, I'm 27 years old, 28 years old. I'm not signing autographs before the game. I got to concentrate on the game. He goes, well, you're going to sign autographs in Montreal tomorrow before the game. And I wanted to be good signatures because I'm going to look. And I said, wait, wait, in Montreal? And he goes, you're going to the big league. I said, oh, I started crying. Pete McCannon was my manager. He was crying. Um, so he said, do me one favor. It's a 730 game. Get there early. Well, I got there at 1230 and the clubhouse was locked and I couldn't get into the clubhouse. I, from Ottawa to Montreal is a two hour drive, kind of like from here to Philly, um, from D.C. to Philly. So I got there at 1230, opened the locker room door, can't get in. Security calls the GM, Bill Stoneman, down. And he says, hey, FP. Uh, don't you think you're – congratulations, we're glad to have you. Don't you think you're a little early? And I said, well, I've been waiting my whole life for this. There's no such thing as early. I signed my contract. He said, you're going to make X if you go back to AAA. I said, I ain't, I ain't going back to AAA. Um, and Felipe Alou came in that day and saw me in my locker at 1 o'clock, put me in a lineup because I was sitting in my locker at 1 o'clock. And the story goes that I, he said he's more ready than any guy I got here right now, so he's playing tonight. I got two hits. Um, and stayed for seven years. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm proud of the fact, very proud even this day, that 
um, as a 20th round draft pick and a thousand dollar bonus baby that I made it all the way to the big leagues. Yeah, that's a great story, a great insight on what it's like to be a minor leaguer and to finally get that call. And you got to two hits. One was a triple. You even got an RBI and scored a run, and you were hit by pitch in your first game. That must have been the best hit by pitch you've ever felt in your career. Well, the story is, is I couldn't hit the ball of the infield in AAA at the time, and I was in a full panic driving to Montreal. Like, I was in one of the worst slumps ever. I'm getting jammed. I'm breaking bats. That's why I broke the tunnel the night before I got called up because I was like 0 for 20. And in a bad 0 for 20, not like bad luck, like you're lining out the robin yet. I really literally couldn't hit the ball in the infield, and now I'm in the big leagues. So I, I, I tinkered with my swing and early work, um, and I got to something I felt like a Band-Aid kind of approach that night. And uh, I had a runner on second, nobody out, and I'm hitting eighth, and the pitcher's behind me. I'm like, do I move him? So Jerry Manuel, my third base coach, said, don't put him over here because Jeff Facero's on deck the pitcher, just drive him into right field, look for something away. I was sitting right-handed, hit a ball down the right field line, had a triple. So, uh, yeah, just a, a w- wonderful flow of memories. Um, I'm, I'm, like I said, super proud of that, super proud of being a part of an organization and a franchise for 20 years, too. And, uh, this is my 20th year in the Expo slash Nationals franchise. Well, we can see how much you love the game and this organization on every broadcast. Uh, Nats fans really appreciate your insight. At Fighting Hydrant on Twitter, be sure to give FP a follow and, of course, catch him on Masson for every Nationals game throughout the season. FP, thanks so much for your time. All right, wash your hands, put your mask on, stay safe.